So I've been fortunate to have been a, a num- part of a number of different teams uh, in my life, whether it's been in work or uh, in school, playing sports. The team environment has an incredible way of breaking down barriers that would otherwise remain between people of different personalities, different opinions and experiences and perspectives, social statuses. When you're on a team, you have to come together if you want to accomplish the mission and achieve the goal that you have been given to achieve. You can make a bigger difference together than you can as individuals. I remember playing Little League, and this was before travel sports kind of took over all of the youth sports uh, environment. There were actually Little Leagues for baseball that were just public, that anybody could join, and you got put on a team that maybe was not of your choosing. And you were with other young people that, you know, regardless of social status, regardless of friend group or even talent level, well, any other label that a young person would, would carry. And, and so you wanted to win, you wanted to become champions. And so no matter how different you were from the people on your team, you had to come together. You had to work uh, with kids that were different from you. And we find these opportunities to be on these teams all around us. Now, these types of teams are, are not without problems. When you when your experiences, your perspectives, your opinions rub up against that of others who come from different places, it's hard, right? Conflicts emerge. Offense is taken. Feelings are hurt, and yet you're still bound together by whatever brought you together in the first place. For the, the team, the, the community, the workplace, the church, to accomplish its mission, there has to be a mindset of mercy in order for that mission to be accomplished. Now, it's hard because we live in a world where there isn't a lot of mercy right now. There are forces at play that that seek to build up barriers between people instead of tearing them down. They do this for their their own benefit, to, to monetize or capitalize on our tendency to allow barriers to exist between us. And those barriers can be socioeconomic, those barriers can be racial, they can be sort of political in our in our partisan viewpoints. Those barriers can even be theological. We can divide along our interpretations of Scripture. And as the church, as the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, we are called to be different. We are called more than anybody else to embody the mercy of God because so much mercy has been shown to us, we are called to extend that mercy to others. The beatitude that we're focusing on for the remainder of the season of Epiphany as part of our Provoke Life campaign, the the Epiphany season which honors the revelation and the incarnation of Christ in the world, Jesus showing up, 
We honor that season. We remember that season, not just by what we do on Sunday, but by how, by how we live on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. The, the beatitude we're looking at is from Matthew 5, verse 7. Let's read it together. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, mercy is often framed as being about forgiveness, right? Like somebody offends us, somebody hurts us, somebody wrongs us, and we forgive them, and that is showing mercy. And that is certainly part of it. But mercy is about more than just forgiveness. It's about the breaking down of barriers between people. It's about extending to those disconnected the love of God, those disconnected from the, the, living, the loving relationships of community, disconnected from meaning and purpose, bringing them into a place where they can engage with something bigger than themselves, making space for them in a community of belonging. That's mercy too. Mercy is what drives you and I to follow Jesus and build a bigger table. So our gospel reading this morning, it's a parable of Jesus and it's talking about the forgiveness of some kind of debt. And Peter asks Jesus the, the limits on forgiveness. And, and which it causes this text to be applied mostly to the transaction of forgiveness between two people. So somebody wrongs me, somebody hurts me, somebody offends me, and I'm supposed to forgive them. That's kind of how this is, is often taught. Which, yes, on its face, true. There's a, a ton of scripture that talks about being quick to forgive and, and to offloading that burden of, of guilt. But it gets complicated. Forgiveness gets complicated because what happens when the person that has wounded you, offended you, hurt you, what happens when they deny that they did anything wrong? What happens when that person is an abuser who is not ceasing that abuse? The abuse is ongoing. What happens when we are wronged in costly ways that leave us in a far worse position than when we started? Are we supposed to just let that go? These are the tough questions around forgiveness, which is why it is important to understand that mercy is about more than a transaction of forgiveness. Mercy is a mindset. Mercy is about building a bigger table. That was Jesus's goal when he gave this beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And that was Jesus's goal as he gives this parable. So first, just a little bit of context. Peter comes to Jesus on the heels of a longer teaching that, that Jesus gives. You know, sometimes we take uh, chunks of scripture and, and we try to unpack it, but, but we forget that there's a, a whole larger meta narrative, a whole larger context to what that, that teaching or that parable is about. And, and so often when Jesus teaches, it, it's, it's not like he woke up in the morning and decided to talk about forgiveness that day. There's something going on 
in his interaction with the world, in his interaction with the, the religious leaders that were opposing him, even in the dynamics of the relationship amongst the disciples, those become occasions for Jesus to offer some kind of teaching. And that, that seems to be what's going on here. Now, Scripture doesn't always give us an account of why Jesus uh, teaches on certain things, but we can look at his teaching and we can make certain assumptions about what's going on. So what seems to be happening here, if you look back and read starting at the beginning of Matthew 18, that, that we have this group of disciples, this team that's called to a certain mission. And it's made up of people of, of different backgrounds and perspectives and experiences and, and opinions. And as those differences bump up against each other, there's conflict. As Jesus is building a bigger table, these disciples are struggling to understand their place at it and what is required of them in order to make space at the bigger table for those that they just otherwise might not want to sit with, those that they otherwise might not want to be at dinner with, those that they might not otherwise want in the family of God as they are in the family of God. And so all this conflict is happening and, and there, there's, there are disciples who are just really committed and there's other ones that they just seem to not be able to get right in their life. And, and so there's all this conflict and I can just imagine Peter coming to Jesus just exhausted. Like, how long, Lord? Like, how long do I need to show mercy to these people? How long do I need to forgive? How many times? When can I be done with this? Is it seven times? Which makes sense that he would suggest seven because in ancient thinking, numbers had certain meanings attached to them and the number seven was a, a, had the meaning of completeness. So in other words, once Peter forgave seven times, culturally he was off the hook in his mind. He could just wash his hands of the relationship. He did all he could to, to, to bring, stay in relation with that person. It's too tough. I'm just done. In Peter's mind, that made a lot of sense because that's, that's how they thought. Jesus says, no, try forgiving 70 times seven. And so all the math whizzes in the room are, are doing the calculations. They're like, wow, 490. Like, how do I even count that? How do I even track that number of times of forgiveness? Do I need spreadsheets and, and, and lists and, and, and different categories? And, and really what Jesus is saying is, forgive until you can't count anymore, until you lose count. And then just keep on showing mercy because that's the mindset, because that's the call. See, showing mercy is about mindset. It's about how you view others as you follow Jesus and as he builds the bigger table. Because as that happens, as we follow Jesus, there, there are people who will offend us. There are people who will hurt us. There are people who will wrong us, and you and I need to know what to do about that, how to handle that. This parable is not necessarily about a transactional offering of forgiveness. It's about embracing a mindset of mercy and how it is we do that. So when we're dealing with a parable, there, there are really three ways to understand them, that, they, that parables have three tasks. The first thing a parable does is it paints a picture of who God is, of what God wants and what God is doing. And then it offers us a mirror 
to reflect back on us who we are and what we're doing. We see ourselves and our actions clear, most clearly when we look ourselves in the mirror. And then the parable provides us with a window into how we are to live in light of who God is, what God wants, what God is doing, which means we need to change. We need to come into alignment with the revelation of God's character and God's action. So in this parable, it paints a picture of who God is and of a God with whom we are indebted. Now, our our debt is not financial. Our debt with God is spiritual. And, And yeah, like there's sin involved, but it's not even about just sin. It's about the generosity that God has shown us, the love and the mercy and the relationship and the blessing that God has poured out upon us that we simply have done nothing to deserve. How generous God has been with us and how incapable we would be to pay that back. So the slave in the story, he owes 150,000 years worth of wages. That's the gap. That's the debt. You think about that debt clock that, that, you know, that counts how, how much in debt the United States is, right? And you just look at that and you're like, what do we even do here? Like, this is never going to hit zero ever, no matter what happens, no matter who is elected, no matter what policies they do, no matter how many taxes they charge. This is always going to be a problem. For this slave, it was always going to be a problem. That's us. That's the insurmountable debt. That's the difference between what God has given us and our ability to deserve it. And it's massive. The mirror that this parable reflects back to us is just how ridiculous it is for us to withhold mercy in light of the massive debt that we have with God. The second slave, the one who owed less, he owed 100 coins. It would have taken him probably 100 days to pay that off. So like three and a half months. So one guy owes 150,000 years and gets it forgiven. The other guy owes 100 days. And this guy chokes him, beats him up, and throws him into prison. And that's what we do when we withhold mercy when we refuse to extend that, the love of God to others, when we allow the barriers that the world has created to divide us, when we jockey for our seat at Jesus' table and we do not intentionally make space for others, we are forgetting the mercy that we have been shown. And not only are we forgetting it, but when we fail to show that mercy, we actually place a limit on God's ability to show mercy through us. So the the parable ends, and not only is the guy who owed the massive debt thrown into prison, the guy who owed 100 days worth is still there too. That's left unresolved. When this giant debtor doesn't show mercy, it prevents mercy from happening to him. And when we fail to show mercy, we place a limit. We rob those disconnected from the experience of God's mercy. But it also means 
When we aren't showing mercy, it means we haven't really received it for ourselves either. We effectively cut ourselves off from God's mercy when we fail to extend it. It's the natural consequence of not embracing the mercy of God and adopting a mindset of mercy. Now, that's not very good news, right? Fortunately, there's a third task that a parable has, and that's to show us a window into what we do different, into how, how we think different, how we live different. And the parable shows us how we adopt a mindset of mercy, to let that mercy flow into our lives and then through our lives. First, we come to grips with just how massive the debt is between what God has given us and what it is that we've done to deserve it. This recognition leads us to a place of seeing ourselves clearly in our equality with all people. The slave and the one who owned him a small debt, they were equals because they both existed under the generosity of the king. You and I are no more worthy of a place at the table of the Lord than anybody else. And you and I are no less worthy of a place at the table of the Lord than anybody else. Imagine the person in your life that you are the most judgmental of, that you are the most in disagreement with, that you look at them and, they, and you say, there's something wrong with that person. You are no more entitled to a place at Jesus's table than they are, and you are no less entitled to a place at Jesus's table than they are. Embracing that reality is how you adopt a mindset of mercy. Gratitude for all it is that Jesus has done for you. Making space for others to join you, to be a part of the community, to be a part of the team, to be a part of the bigger table that Jesus came to build. And and that bigger table, it's not just a loose affiliation of people who believe that that you do. I think the the downfall of kind of the 20th, 21st century church is that we kind of are just this loose affiliation of people who agree with each other. But that's not the bigger table that Jesus has built. Around the bigger table is a team. That's what the church is. We have a mission that Jesus has given us to accomplish, and we cannot do that without embracing a mindset of mercy. And of course, there are questions about how to forgive when we're wronged. And and earlier in Matthew 18, Jesus lays that out. You can go back and read it for yourself, but essentially, it's naming the offense, repentance from the offender, and support for the victim. That's the process of forgiveness. But that process only works when there's a mindset of mercy. And when that exists, that's how forgiveness flows. You and I have been shown such great mercy by God and how God has, yes, forgiven our sins, but also how much God has provided and how God has made a space 
for us. Shouldn't that motivate us to go do the same? I asked this question of the, the first service, and we'll, we'll just close with this. To look around the room and imagine the, those of you who know our first service folks, thinking about them as well. Who's missing? And I don't mean like who's missing as in, you know, they're not here today because of the snow or because they were out of town or whatever. And I don't mean who's missing in terms of people who were once a part of this church and then left for, for you know, whatever reason. I'm talking about the people who will never walk through the doors because they don't think they belong. I'm talking about the people who have made such a mess of their life that they don't think that God could ever love them. I'm talking about the people who were engaged with church and engaged with faith and then encountered somebody who did not embrace the the mindset of mercy and you said, you know what? It ain't worth it. I'll sleep in on Sunday instead. That's who we need to be looking for. That's who we need to be making space for. That's who we need to help Jesus build the bigger table for. Those for whom they're walking around with a hundred days worth of debt and they're just looking to be free. And so as we pray, imagine who that person is and how God might be calling you to embrace a mindset of mercy so that mercy might flow through you into their life and that they would find a place at the bigger table that Jesus came to build.